1: A Rookie is a free serialized audiobook meant for mature audiences, written and performed by number one New York Times bestselling novelist, Scott Sigler. For links to order a young adult version of this book, without all the cussing, in print, ebook, or audiobook, visit slash the rookie one word. This podcast contains mature situations, adult language, and lots and lots of violence. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, junkies. I don't know where you are in the world, but here in sunny Southern California, the great heat wave of 2022 has finally broken. This morning, the temperature dipped below 70 for the first time in almost two weeks, and I gotta tell you, it was pretty nice, pretty nice, you know what I'm saying? I spent most of that heat wave cooped up inside working on Shakedown, which of course is book one of The Crypt, Which is still killing me with my problems struggling with Word for Mac issues getting through the final draft. There's so many changes in it from the editor. Little nits here and there and then actual substantive comments. That's like 9,000 changes and it just grinds the processor of every computer I've tried it on down to a halt. Every Mac, I should say. I've even switched over to a Windows machine for a little bit. Which worked okay, except the interface is so different. And so much of my workflow at this point in my career is just muscle memory. My hands just do stuff that I don't even have to think about when I'm on the Windows machine. I have to stop and think about it every time. And that slows me down almost as much, if not more, than the spinning wheel popping up for three to five seconds at a pop every time I move the cursor over on Mac. But I will get it done, up to 26% done now. It's just, oof, that's all I do. It's slowing me down immensely, which means there's nothing really new from me this week. So I hope that you are doing well. I hope you either had a good weekend or are gearing up for a good weekend. I hope you get a chance to talk to friends and family and blow off some steam on social media and have fun with all the things. Let me get you caught up in the story so far for the rookie, and then we're all, ah, screw it. I'm just going to go back to work. I don't know about you guys. previously on the rookie for the second straight week quentin gets the start this time against the 0 and three sky demolition if the one and two krakens lose they are officially the worst team in the division and out of the hunt for promotion to tier one but Magon wants quentin to throw the game and he's not the only one as another gangland figure enters the mix The Deuce had no haven for Purist Nation expats, so Rick Warburg decided to stay in the demolition building. Quentin had no intention of staying in, so he opted for dinner with Yasud and John Tweedy. The city's bizarre architecture drew him out into the streets. Einath City was orderly and new, a highly regimented place built with careful planning and meticulous attention to detail. The Deuce, on the other hand, felt far more organic. Not just streets— but entire levels had sprung up over the centuries, and many, without any official sanction or knowledge. Caverns and tunnels, both rough and smoothly engineered, ran through the artificial planetoid like a giant termite colony. Like Ionath City in Port Wittock, the football stadium lay in a bustling downtown area packed with many species, noise, grav cars, and multiple forms of entertainment. It surprised him to see so many representatives of the different races. Some of the human families, he'd been told, had lived on the Deuce for eight or more generations, two centuries of life, and considered themselves of the Quith Concordia with no association whatsoever to the human systems. Quentin thought of his own lineage. His ancestors had come over on the first flotilla some 240 years ago, a great, great 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 grandfather, supposedly, had come from some place on Earth called Dallas. Quentin only remembered that tidbit because one of the original football teams had played there. He and his parents, and his parents before him, thought of themselves as citizens of the purest nation, as separate from Earth as the human citizens of the Deuce were to any human government. Still, it was hard to think of humans proudly boasting their citizenship to a nation of radioactivity-proof aliens. Buildings towered above, some reaching a mile into the air. The green crystalline mass that made up the building's framework looked bubbly, almost alive, with the soft ripples and curves of a large icicle. Massive arcs of that same green crystal reached from building to building, across narrow spans, across streets, some across even entire blocks. Some arcs reached from a building to another arc, and a few even ran from one arc to another, forming a stringy, organic latticework. I bet you never saw anything like this back on the farm, eh, Quentin? The trio headed to the first building with a holographic football-slash-beer-bottle sign. You can say that again. Vyrak told me to watch my ass in this place. I hear it's dangerous. I'll relax, backwater, John Tweedy said with a grin. We're football players. Nobody's gonna fuck with us. We can beat the shit out of them, and then no one can send us to jail. GFL immunity is great, I tell you. Let's just enjoy the place and tie one on tonight. Oh, yes. Let us delve into the seedy underbelly of this strange and alien city. As if pulled by some unseen magnetism, Yasud and Tweety suddenly turned as one and walked towards a door marked with a familiar glowing sign of a football on top of a Miller logo. Quentin paused before entering. The bar was so packed, part of the crowd stood on the street, mag glasses in hand. Where Ionath City and Port Wittok had species-specific areas, this bar seemed to have everything. Humans, Kretorakian civilians, female Sklorno, more than a few key, hurrah, and, of course, dozens of quith workers, warriors, and leaders. The crowd parted for the three men as they walked into the bar, mostly because the ever-scowling Tweety led the way, head tilted down, eyes peering out from his thick eyebrows. Krakens rule the fucking universe scrolled across his forehead. A bar ran around the floor, its black, onyx-like surface set at just two feet off the ground, the perfect height for quith workers to sit and relax. Quentin, Tweety, and Yasud sat at three seats, which seemed to magically open up before them as three normal-sized humans got up and left on their approach. "'Bartender! Bartender! Three Millers!' A quith worker waddled over. A shriveled stub on his left cheek remained of what had once been the matching pair to the yellow and orange-furred petty palp on his right. He reached under the bar and quickly served up three mag cans of Miller. Yasud, still smiling, ceremoniously opened all three cans, passing one to Quentin and one to John Tweedy. Yasud held his can high. Tonight we drink to turning things around. Here's to kicking the demolition's ass. Oh, yes. All three men drank as the crowd, obviously demolition fans, let out low-volume jeers. Quentin noticed how many beings wore demolition clothing of one type or another. Purple hats and jackets and shirts marked with three white stripes. Quentin took a couple of swallows. When he set his can down, Yasud and Tweety were still drinking. Both men drained their mag cans, hit the decompress button on top, and set the now-decharged and empty metal ring on the bar top. Bartender, another round, please! John Tweedy poked a finger at Quentin's can, still three-quarters full. What's the matter, rookie? You're not thirsty? Uh, we have a game in two days. So? So? I'm not gonna get drunk. We gotta be at our best for this game. Tweedy waved a hand in front of his face, as if Quentin had farted.
0: Damn, Backwater,
1: I thought you were fun, like you sued here. You sued, smiling, just shrugged. I'm fun. I just don't want to mess anything up this week. Yeah, you're tons of fun. The way you spend all your time in the VR room, man, you're a regular ball of laughs. I want to party with you, kid. A <laughs> hey, party with you, kid. That's good. Quentin felt his face turn a bit red. Hey, I'm out tonight, right? Come on, at least give me that much. Yasud nodded vigorously, "Oh, yes, you're right, you're here, so I'll quit begging on you. The second round hit the bar top within seconds. John and Yasud had knocked that one back as well. Bartender, Quentin slowly shook his head. It was going to be a long night, right about the time John Tweedy, now eight beers heavier, started challenging anyone and everyone in the bar to a fight Quentin. Who's only two beers heavier, mind you, walked outside. He had a good feeling he'd need a grab cab to get Tweety and yasu back to their rooms. How they could hope to practice the next day was beyond Quentin's understanding. The streets remained packed with grab cars. Pedestrians filled the sidewalks, moved in and out of bars and buildings. The green-tinged buildings soared above, their endless network of arms reaching out to each other like tentacle lovers caught in a freeze frame. A pair of human hand-holding women walked by, one with blue skin, the other with white, both wearing matching see-through bodysuits that left nothing to the imagination. A month ago, Quentin would have sneered at the two shameless women, both for their sinful dress and for the color of their skin. Now, however, something did rise as they walked by, but it wasn't his lip. Man, I'm changing so fast I can barely keep score. Maybe it was being immersed in alien cultures that made even blue and white-skinned women look alluring. They didn't seem so... different anymore. Not like they had back on McCovey, where you only saw colored skin in the holos. The white-skinned girl turned and looked at him as she walked by, her blue-painted lips flashing a seductive smile. He watched her walk down the sidewalk, his eyes following first her shapely ass, then her legs, then her friend's ass then her friend's legs, then Magon. Magon? Quentin blinked twice, but there was nothing wrong with his vision. Magon, the Kretorakian representative of the Toe Pirates, was two buildings down the street, dressed in a fuchsia suit with yellow stripes, and waving at him with one leathery wing. No, not waving, beckoning. Quentin felt his face flush red. He looked around quickly, but saw no one he recognized, and no one staring at him. Well, no unusual stares. A seven-foot-tall being drew plenty of stares in a city where the average citizen stood all of four-foot-two. Magon waved again, this time faster, more demanding. Quentin swallowed, looked in the bar to make sure Yasud and Tweety weren't watching, then walked over to Magon.
0: What do you want? We can't be seen together. A chance you'll have to take. Kirani Kolak has a message for you. Fine. Make it quick. I'll only be a second, so just relax. I wanted to let you know you did a good job last week. Your effort looked very convincing, yet you still lost by 25 points.
1: Quinn suddenly realized that once he'd taken that first snap, he hadn't even thought about throwing the game. He felt doubly humiliated. First, because he'd considered tanking, and second, because he'd played his ass off, lost, And this bat thought he'd lost on purpose. Quentin felt an anger brewing in him like he'd never felt before.
0: Just keep it up, Backwater. One more loss and you'll be wearing the blood red before Tier 1 season starts. Just letting you know that I'm here and I'm watching. Now piss off. I want to chase some tail.
1: Quentin just stood for a moment, then turned, the rage so thick in his head it was hard to think. One more loss the phrase echoed in his mind. The Toe Pirates, his childhood dream, and all he needed was one more loss. He walked towards the bar. It was time to get those two drunks out of there and go back to the rooms. He was so mad, he didn't notice the things around him, like the crowd parting before him the way it had for John Tweedy, or the two huge key that blocked the sidewalk and weren't about to part for anybody. Quinn almost walked right into them, Excuse me. The key didn't move. Quentin looked at them for a moment, their expressionless black eyes staring back. Then he tried to walk around them. They moved to block his path. You guys have a problem? The key said nothing. Another Kretorakian, this one dressed in lemon yellow with long flowing streamers of dark yellow, flew up and perched on one of the key's shoulders.
0: Quentin Mons, my boss would like a word with you.
1: Did the tow Pirates think he was a moron or something?
0: I already heard the sermon. Now leave me alone. You haven't heard anything until you've heard it from the boss. And the boss wants to speak with you.
1: I'm headed back to my room. Now get these fucking gorillas out of my way.
0: But the boss wants to talk with you now.
1: The key moved quickly, multi-jointed arms reaching out. Quentin immediately started dodging to the left, but they were too close and he'd been caught off guard. Eight strong key arms grabbed him and held him concrete tight. Quentin in tow, they scuttled into a building. It all happened so fast, Quentin barely knew what was happening before the key tossed him unceremoniously onto the floor. The noise of the street faded away behind a closed door. He stood up with an athlete's quickness, but the key were already off him, backed up against the door to prevent his escape. The yellow-suited Kretorakin was also in the room, only now he was perched on the shoulder of a black-and-tan-furred quith leader. This is bad. This is very, very bad. He wanted out, and he wanted out quickly. He leaned forward and started lunging for the key. They both pulled knives, and he stopped short, almost stumbling into the glittering points. Knives wasn't exactly the right word. He'd used knives in military training. Knives were about a foot long. These blades were three feet long, serrated on one side, gleaming sharpness on the other. The mysterious quith leader spoke.
0: Stop being a bitch! You're here until I tell you to leave, so stop being a bitch!
1: Quentin backed away from the sword-wielding key. The room had another door, but it was behind the quith leader. Quentin suspected if he rushed for that way out, The key might cut him down before he could get the thing open.
0: My name is Mopuk the Sneaky.
1: Mopuk gestured to the yellow-suited Kretorakian.
0: This is Sobox. If you see Sobox again, know that he's carrying my voice. I don't care if he's carrying your nuts in a paper baggie. You want to tell me what the fuck this is all about? This is about Donald Pine.
1: Quentin hadn't expected that.
0: What about him? He works for me. You might say he's a seasonal employee... Donald Pine owes me a lot of money. He pays off his debt by playing the way I tell him to play.
1: Quentin felt stunned. You're trying to tell me that Pine throws games for you? Mopook's petty palps quivered once. Well then, you're out of luck, asshole. Because Pine's hurt and I'm playing this week.
0: That's why you're here. I want the demolition to win. You'll make sure... That happens.
1: Quentin was getting damn tired of people telling him to lose football games. Damn tired. There's
0: money in it for you.
1: Mopuk held out one petty palp, into which Sobox dropped a credit chit. Mopuk tossed it to Quentin.
0: That chit is for a half million. I believe your entire salary for the season is only one million?
1: Quentin looked at the small black chit. Indeed, the readout said C-500,000. The payable button, however, did not glow the blue of an active transaction.
0: One million? What a joke. You need an agent, Backwater. Just take care of business and that light glows blue. Make sure the demolition wins by at least a touchdown. That's all you have to do.
1: Quentin stared at the chit. Five hundred thousand. That was half of what he made for the whole season. More than half, if he counted in the tithe he had to pay to the purest nation. And hell, they'd probably lose anyways. He shook his head, trying to clear away such thoughts. He wasn't throwing the game. And besides, if he did, Greedock might find out. And that would be very, very, very
2: bad.
0: Do you know who owns the Krakens? Any fucking idea at all, dipshit? I know who runs the Krakens. And if you go run and tell him, he won't be happy. But right now, he doesn't know anything. And if he does find out, I'll be sure to implicate you in every way possible. I'm protected, but you're not. Who do you think is going to come out of this with his head still attached to his body? You just throw the game, and everyone is happy.
1: Quentin slowly shook his head. I've got a better idea. Why don't you let me use your petty palps to clean my asshole? I took a messy beer shit and I've got dingleberries back there. Your furry little things would clean it up good box flapped once, and the key were all over him. There was no space to maneuver in the small room. Quentin managed one good punch at the first key, but didn't know if his blow did any damage before he went down under a thousand pounds of heavy alien. He felt sudden blows to his ribs and one to his jaw. The world spun awkwardly around him as the weight suddenly lifted. Quentin slowly stood up, rubbing his jaw, his rib feeling like someone had jabbed a baseball bat into him, handle first. He felt something in his mouth. He spit. His front right tooth landed and stuck in a loogie of blood.
0: Damn it! I just finished growing that thing back! Now shut up and listen. I'm done negotiating. The money is off the table. No more deal there. You blew it. The demolition win. You do it for free. End of story. And they win by a touchdown. You got that? Seven points, at least. If this doesn't happen, you're going back to the purest nation in a coffin.
1: Quentin looked at the two key. He was stuck in this room, and if they wanted, they could easily kill him. Yeah, fine. The word came out of an already swelling mouth. Yeah, I got it. One of the key opened the door and stood aside. Quentin walked out onto the busy street. The door shut behind him. Red no-touch jersey flapping in a light breeze, Quentin dropped back and planted. His feet slid slightly on the white tyrolick. The footing felt like grass, if he covered grass with a light coating of kitchen grease, that is. He was quickly adjusting to the slickness. He looked downfield to his primary receiver and gunned the pass to Haywick. The ball covered 15 yards in a half second and hit Haywick dead on. Good job, Barnes, Okor said in his headset. It was strange to hear a compliment, and this had been Hokor's fourth of the practice. Everything seemed to be flowing now. The players, both offense and defense, part of a huge dance. More and more, he knew where each receiver would move, and where their defensive dance partner would move in response. Things were starting to feel natural, the way they did back on McCovey. Still, this was against a defense he practiced with not only daily, but nightly as well. He'd started to subconsciously absorb the aggressive tendencies of Berea and Stockbridge, the one-step-too-late break of Perth, and the too-cautious defense of Davenport. Against the demolition's top-rated pass defense, however, it would be a different story. You're looking good, Backwater. Quentin turned to look at Donald Pine, who was dressed in civvy clothes. The crutches were gone, replaced by just a cane. The cane made him look like the old man that he was. Just how long had this man been throwing games? Quentin could barely look at the bastard without feeling sick and angry. One of the best quarterbacks of all time, and he threw games like some punk bitch. A bent knee left more when he dropped back. You're handling the slickness okay, but in the second half the field will be really beat up and way more slippery. You need that extra springiness in a bent knee. It'll help you keep your balance. Quentin nodded, but didn't say anything. Once again. He couldn't trust what Pine had to say. Had Mopuk and company told Pine to make sure Quentin tanked the game? Was Pine going to play subversive mind games to ensure a loss? The double whistle blew as Hokor's cart descended to the 50-yard line. The team gathered from all over the field. Practice was over, and Hokor had to cover any last important notes before the players headed to the locker room. Tomorrow, this same field would be filled with 110,000 screaming fans, as well as 44 players wearing the multi-shaded purple uniforms of the Sky Demolition. Quinn turned away from Pine and jogged to the midfield gathering. Tomorrow was game day. Do or die day. One more loss, and the season was shot. Not under my watch. The thought popped into Quinn's head. The team probably wouldn't make the Tier 2 tournament, but if that happened, It would be because Don Pine threw a game, not Quentin Barnes. Fuck Pine. Fuck Mopuk. Hell, for that matter, fuck the Toe Pirates. Quentin wasn't taking a dive for anyone. He would not let his teammates down.
0: Hello, football fans. Welcome back to this UBS holocast of GFL. Football. This is Masara, the Observant, here with Chick McGee, the galaxy's favorite color commentator. Well Chick, despite the score, we've seen some good football in the first half. The demolition is up 14-3, to 3, but the Kraken's defense has played well.
1: You've got that right, Masara. Let's take a look at the Bombay Gin Halftime Stat Board. Nothing eases a worker's day like the tasty taste of gin from Bombay. Mmm, that's tasty. Chick,
0: you shouldn't be drinking that in the booth.
1: Hey, now, can I endorse without sampling the product? Anyways, Brady Antonabi is showing why he's one of the top-rated passers in the Quithirradiated. He's 12-17 of for 203 yards and a pair of touchdowns, both to San Mateo. The Kraken secondary has done a good job of containing the demolition pass attack, but gave up two big plays, a 68-yard touchdown strike for an Antonavi to San Mateo, and another 27-yard touchdown that came on a crucial 3rd and 12 right at the end of the half. If they'd held them there, the Krakens would only be back by a touchdown.
0: Chick! What does the Kraken's offense have to do to get back into this game?
1: Well, Massara, they've got to do three things. First, rookie quarterback Quentin Barnes has to work on his footing. He's not used to playing on this kind of surface. He's already fallen twice on his dropbacks, slipping when he plans to step up and throw. Second, the Kraken's have to start blocking. The demo has sacked Barnes three times so far, knocking him down three more and hurried him another four. Barnes has thrown two interceptions, both caused by heavy pass-rust pressure. If it wasn't for his running ability, the Krakens would be worse off than they already are. Barnes has 26 yards in the ground on five rushing attempts, all of them scrambles. I tell you, that human has been chewed up like a Sklornal larva during a famine. Um,
0: Chick, I hardly think our Sklornal viewers would appreciate...
1: Yes, you're right there, Masara. Sorry, folks at home. Sometimes this old game of football gets me so fired up, I slip back into cute colloquialisms. No offense intended.
0: Moving on. We've got better footing. Better blocking. What's the third thing?
1: Masara, the third thing is play calling. Hokor the hook chest is being very predictable. The Kragans are running first, throwing second, and the Demolition knows it. The only time the Krakens throw is when they have to throw, and then the Demolition brings Yell of the Biter and a Blitz almost every time.
0: So why isn't Barnes changing the play at the line?
1: You've got me, Masara. The kid seems like he knows the offense very well, but either he's afraid to change the play, or Hokort isn't letting him audible.
0: Next up, we'll take a look at the first half highlights, brought to you by Juju Killick Shipping. Remember... If you gotta ship it across the galaxy, don't you wanna ship it with a key? Any way you look at it, Chick, it seems something's got to change if the Krakens are going to get back into this game.
1: You got that right, Masara. Otherwise, the Krakens have about as much chance as a naked nun at a Purist Nation rapist convention.
0: Chick, now come on! Sorry,
1: Masara. Sorry, beings at home. Quentin hissed once as Doc wrapped the cool blue patch around the right side of his neck. He'd been tackled by the neck on the last sack, a key arm tearing away a good six inches of skin. He thought he'd been in the clear, but still hadn't accounted for how far the key could jump out of a gather. The right side of Quentin's jersey was deeply stained with his own blood, and he couldn't swallow without an explosion of throbbing pain. The patch's sting set in immediately. It only added to his anger. Pine sat on his left, cane in hand, and Itzhak sat on his right. Hokor was delivering his halftime speech.
0: We've got to execute better on first down. We're not getting off to a good start.
1: That's because all you want to do is hand the ball off to Fad.
0: And we've got to start blocking in the offensive line. I don't care what cultural bullshit you key are dealing with, but block.
1: Yeah, that's right. Tell him to block, Hokor. Now you're really
0: leading them, aren't you, you damn pint-sized bastard? Defensively, we've got to get our coverages in sync. Fucking block for me, block. Shit, shit, shit This fucking hurts. And Tanabi is taking advantage of every blown cover. I'm tired of getting sacked, you stupid bastards. So let's get back to our game plan. We don't a- Game plan?
1: Quentin stood so suddenly his chair shot out from behind him.
0: The fucking game plan is not for me to spend four quarters getting knocked on my ass. Barnes, sit down. I'm sick of it.
1: Quentin strode towards the key linemen. They sat on one side of the locker room, a huge mass of dangerous strength, Dressed in white jerseys and multi legged orange leg armor, stained white from the oily field.
0: You call that blocking? You motherfucking ass looking cowardly horse? Horse! Burn! Fuck off, half point!
1: Quentin flashed a wide eyed stare at Hokor before turning back to the key lineman. Pine leaned over to Itzhak. Man, he's lost it. Itzhak leaned back. Yeah, should we help him? Pine shrugged. No, it is kind of fun. They'll leave the block for him or eat him. I'm not sure which.
0: Sons of bitch and cum filled ass-eating butt pirate shitters! Shitters! After this game, we're gonna settle up, you stupid salamanders! Settle up with a lot of you!
1: The key didn't move a muscle. Quentin turned and stormed out of the locker room, stopping along the way to kick over a water bucket and smash a chair into the wall. There was a brief silence, broken by an angry bark from Shoto Thicket. Oh, you don't talk, threats. Pine spoke quietly, but his voice carried to every ear. When he talked, the entire team turned to look at him. Yeah, he assaulted you. Yeah, you deserved it. All five of you, and you all know it. The third quarter was pure torture. Quentin saw play after play where he could have audibled to a pass that would have burned the defense, but he stuck to the plays that Hokor called. Brady Antonabi, however, didn't seem to have such restrictions. He struck for a 24-yard touchdown pass at the end of the third quarter, putting the demolition up 21-3 going into the fourth. The blocking, however, seemed somewhat improved. Quinn had time to set up and survey the field. He went 6-10 of for 34 yards in the fourth quarter, but couldn't string together enough passes to constitute a drive. But with the extra time to set up, He started marking defensive nuances. Slowly but steadily, his mind began to place the demolition defenders like a chess master marking out his opponent's likely moves. With ten minutes and two seconds to play in the fourth, Kraken's D forced a punt, which Richfield returned to the demolition's 45. Quentin couldn't stand it any longer. They had to score, and they had to score now. He ran over to Hokor. Coach! Quentin kneeled down.
0: Coach! How about letting me audible out there? Just run the plays I call, Barnes. But coach, we're losing. I know that, Barnes. Now shut up. I'm going to turn you loose this time. Just do what I say and run the plays that I call. You got it?
1: Quentin felt frustration welling up inside of him, but he nodded.
0: We've run on seven of the last eight first downs. Go deep this time. Z set, play action, 42 fly.
1: Quentin felt his pulse quicken. He ran onto the field set, put two tight ends in the game, along with Fayad and Tom Perlis, the fullback. The only receiver would be Haywick, wide out on the left flank. Bodeshwek snapped the ball, and Quentin turned to the left, stabbing the ball towards the onrushing Fayad. He pulled it away at the last second, putting the ball in his left hip and letting his right hand brush Fayad's belly. Fayad put both arms together, just as he would have if he'd been handed the ball, and smashed into the line. The Krakens hadn't used play action all day, and the fake drew in the run-oriented defense. Quentin tucked down to hide the ball even as he dropped back. After five steps, he turned and stood and saw Yala the biter already through the line and coming right for him. Everything moved in slow motion. Quentin juked left, which Yala instantly matched. Quentin started to juke right his patented double move that always got him out of trouble in the PNFL, but in a millisecond's time, he knew Yala could effortlessly mirror that move with amazing lateral motion and reaction time of a quith warrior. Quentin's instincts took over. He suddenly saw Yala's direction, as if there were an arrow pointing forward, like a video game, and sensed the linebacker's force and momentum, like a growing pressure in his thoughts. Timing. It's all in the timing. Yala leaned far forward to deliver the hit, suddenly coming off all fours, petty palps and arms reaching out. At just that instant, Quentin spun violently to the right. The quarterback pushed off with his right hand as he spun, the ball in his left hand, his body between Yalla and the ball. He spun so fast he almost fell over from the momentum. But the move worked. Juke moves took too much time against Quith Warriors. But a spin move, just as Yalla came off all fours to deliver the hit, that didn't give him enough time to react. One millisecond, Quentin was there. The next, he was two feet right of where he had been. Yale's momentum carried him past the spinning quarterback, but his powerful pedipalps grabbed a double handful of jersey on the way by. Quentin felt himself sliding backwards on the slick white surface. He instinctively tucked the ball and started pumping his legs with short, quick, jabbing steps. The Quiff linebacker fell to the ground. Quentin planted his legs and pushed against the weight dragging him down. He heard a ripping sound, and suddenly he lurched forward, free to move once again. He instantly stood tall and looked downfield. Haywick streaked down the sidelines, a full two steps ahead of her defender. Quentin fired the ball downfield high and long. As usual, he had no problem hitting an open receiver, and Haywick sailed 15 feet into the air, caught the ball, and landed in full stride. The left cornerback was behind her and didn't stand a chance. The safety came over to help, but she'd also lost a step with the play-action fake. Haywick strode into the end zone, untouched. The crowd booed, but without much intensity. Quentin flipped them off en masse as he ran off the field, his torn jersey flapping around him. Horace El-Rahim knocked in the extra point, cutting the lead to 21-10. Quentin sat on the bench, his heart racing, a feeling of pure ecstasy coursing through his brain. Teammates came up to shake his hand, slap his shoulder pads, or just grunt some unintelligible alien words of encouragement. Pine slid onto the bench next to him. You gotta watch Yala's feet. He's showing blitz when he's on his toes. When he's flat-footed, he's in run coverage. Quentin nodded. He didn't know if he could trust Pine, but that bit of advice sounded reliable. Pine smiled and thumbed Quentin on the shoulder pad. Not nice pass, kid. You just need a couple more. Pine hobbled away. Massal the efficient, approached with a box in his arms and ran up to him. He set the box down and removed a gleaming metal device that looked like a combination of a small pistol and a pair of pliers. What the hell is that, Masal? For your uniform, sir. Masal's petty pelps lined up the torn edges of Quentin's jersey. Massal pinched the bottom edges together and slid them into the opening of the gun pliers. The machine made a small whirring noise, and Massal expertly slid it up the length of the ripped Kevlar fabric, knitting the shreds together into an ugly but neat line. Hey, not bad. Quentin pulled admiringly at the new seam. It held tight. Hey, not bad, Massal. Massal simply bowed and scuttled off to attend to some other managerial duty. They were still down two scores, but the Kraken seemed suddenly energized. Antonabi had faced little pressure on the day. Holcour suddenly changed strategy, sending a blitz after the demolition quarterback on nearly every play. Entenabi managed one completion before Maya Nicol sacked him on second down, and Virak the Mean got him on third for a ten-yard loss. The demolition's drive chewed up only three minutes. Richfield signaled fair catch on the punt. Kraken's ball on their own 41, 6.52 to play in the game. Quentin ran out onto the field. Hokor's one-eyed face in the heads-up display.
0: Now they're watching out for you. This time, go X set, 42 base draw play. We'll see if Fan can finally make something happen.
1: Quentin called the play and walked to the line. The defensive backs moved to five-yard cushions instead of their one-yard bump and run. The linebackers had moved back as well. At the snap, Quentin held the ball to his ear showing pass as he dropped back five steps. The defensive backs and the linebackers immediately backpedaled into pass coverage. At the end of his drop, Quentin suddenly handed the ball off to Fea, who dashed into the line. He cut left into a big hole created by Kiliyowit and Shoto Thicket. Warburg moved to block Yala the biter. Yala turned his head and drove his right arm into Warburg, crushing the big tight end to the ground. Warburg barely slowed Yalla at all, but it was enough for Fayette to slip by. And suddenly, the running back was in the defensive backfield. The D backs converged on him and brought him down, but not before he picked up 23 yards and moved the ball to the demolition 36. Six minutes, 28 seconds, and counting. Paul Pearson came in for Fayette at tailback. The Krakens huddled up, electricity and momentum filling up the small space. The Kraken's players looked tired, but their eyes blazed sharply and their intensity felt ubiquitous. Quentin's earpiece crackled. We
0: need to score and we need to score quick. Why set 42 posts. Look for Pearson on the delayed route over the middle. We may catch Yala sleeping.
1: Quentin called the play and surveyed the defense as the Kraken's lined up. The demolition showed a normal 3-4 defense, which left them with four defensive backs. Quentin's instincts told him to watch for the blitz but Yalla's feet looked flat. At the snap, Quentin dropped back. Both Haywick and Scarborough streaked downfield, then cut inside at an angle, drawing the free safety and safety with them. Pearson ran to the line, acting like he would block, then released and sprinted downfield. Yalla tried to cover, but the faster Pearson ran past. Quentin feathered a light pass that sailed just beyond Yalla and hit Pearson in stride. Yalla dove, covering 10 yards in the leap, and brought Pearson down from behind after a 22-yard gain. First and 10, ball in the demolition 14, six minutes and two seconds to play. (laughs) Whistles blew as hurrah officials flew to Pearson, who rolled on the ground in obvious pain. The officials waved their tentacles madly to the Kraken sidelines. Before Doc arrived with his cart, Quentin saw Pearson roll to his back, his bloody hands clutching at his foot which dangled sickly from only a scrap of skin and a few strands of bloody muscle. Biala's tackle had ripped the man's leg in half. Blood shot out of his ravaged leg, splashing onto the white field and on onto dock and staining the Zeeb's black-and-white uniforms. Fayed came back to the huddle as Doc's med sled rushed Pearson off the field. Hi, one, Fayyad! Did you see that? This whole leg almost came off. Just give me the fucking ball. Feyed's eyes narrowed to angry slits. I'll show that cheap-shotting son of a bitch. Fortunately, Hokor called a dive right, exactly what Feyed wanted. The team lined up. Quen took the snap and pivoted. Feyed nearly ripped the ball out of his hands and drove forward like a tank. Yala the biter came out, and the two hit head-on like a pair of rams. Yala fell backward, and Fayad stumbled over him, falling forward for a five yard gain. Fayad stood and tossed the ball to the ground in front of Yala, who was slow getting up.
0: I'm here all day!
1: Fayad pounded his fist against his chest. Just see if you can tear off my leg! Fayad walked back to the huddle. Quentin felt a wave of awe wash over him. Yala, the biter, had just crippled Paul Pearson, and on the very next play, Fayad had not only carried the ball, but went head hunting for Yala. The play energized the entire team. If Bayed could show that kind of courage, so could everyone else. Another running play put the Krakens on the demolition five-yard line.
0: Esset, double cross!
1: Quentin relayed the play to the Krakens' huddle. He felt the pure vibe of control now. The rhythm of the game coursing through him, answering to him, obeying his every whim. The huddle broke, and he strode to the line, his predator's eyes sweeping over the defense. Esset. Was a single back set. Fayette in the backfield, five offensive linemen, Haywick and Mesquidic split out left, Warburg in the right slot, and Scarborough wide right. It was the first time that day the Krakens used such a set, and the demolition scrambled to adjust. They quickly fell into woman to woman coverage, with a linebacker wide on either side. That left four down linemen and a single middle linebacker, Gala, in the middle. Quentin knew what he wanted to do even before he snapped the ball. Red
0: 91! Red 91! Hot, hot!
1: The receivers drove off the line and cut inside at six yards. Quentin dropped back as Fayon rolled to the right flat. Gal moved with him, and Quentin made his decision. After just a three step drop, he planted and bounced forward, his 360 pounds hitting top speed after only a few steps. The sudden change caught the onrushing defense off guard. He slipped past them without so much as a single cut. Yala was already moving to the right to cover Fayette. He drove back to the left, but it was far too late to match Quentin's quickness. Quentin strode into the end zone untouched. Demolition 21, Krakens 16. Quentin started to run off the field, when he saw Hopehorse signaling him to stay.
0: We're going for two. I said, show left eye, make it boot right. Kobayashi blocks inside and releases to the right. Get him for the conversion.
1: Quentin nodded, but his mind raced with possibilities. A two-point conversion would pull them to within three points, just one field goal away from tying the game. With the game on the line, Hokor was calling a naked boot, which meant Quentin rolled to the right with no blockers. It was both an insult and a compliment. An insult, because the demolition still didn't think Hokor would put the game on a rookie's shoulders, and a compliment, because Hokor was putting the game on his shoulders. He felt palpable excitement in the huddle. All eyes looked at him, awaiting his words. There was victory in the air, and every being felt it. All they had to do was reach out and take it. Warburg and Kobayashi, the tight ends, were in the huddle, as was Tom Perilous, the fullback. Scarborough and Mesquitek were back on the sidelines, it was a two-tight end set with a fullback, clearly a running formation. I set. show dive left, and Fayed, make this fake count. Naked boot right. Kobayashi, block in and then release deep by the back of the end zone. If I have to run, I don't want the guy covering you to be able to stop me from scoring, you got it? Kobayashi nodded, as did the other players.
0: All right, break!
1: The Krakens lined up. The demolition dug in. Quentin surveyed the defense and saw Yala drifting to the offense's right. Quentin's instinct screamed at him to call an audible, to change the play to a dive left to take advantage of the cheating middle linebacker.
0: Run the plays that I call. Blue 16, blue 16, hot, hot, hot.
1: The ball slapped into his hands and he pivoted on his left foot. He put the ball in Fayad's stomach and turned with the running back, guiding him to the line. Just before Fayad crashed into the mass of bodies, Quentin pulled the ball out and pivoted hard to his right. He sprinted to the right sidelines. The defense had bought the fake. All were converging on Fayette. All but Yala, the biter. The monstrous, pitch-black-eyed quiff-warrior linebacker went into a side run, staying right on the goal line as he matched Quentin's horizontal movement. Quentin looked as Kobayashi bounced to the outside, but he was well covered by the demolition cornerback. Quentin thought about the pass for one more second, then tucked the ball and sprinted for the corner of the end zone. Kobayashi instantly reacted to the situation, turning and blocking his defender, taking her out of the play. That left only Quentin and Yala the biter. Yala popped out of his roll and sprang forward, meeting Quentin at the two-yard line. You want to fuck with me? Quentin switched the ball to his right hand and threw his left forward in a vicious, snarling uppercut. His fist slammed into Yala's chest, bounced up, and nailed the quith warrior right between the petty palps. Yala reached out and grabbed at Quentin's jersey as sharp teeth slashed Quentin's left hand. Yala's full weight slammed into him. Quentin stumbled, but recovered and drove forward. His momentum pushed Yala backwards just a touch, but it was enough. They both started to fall. Quentin managed two more powerful strides on the way down and landed after the ball just crossed the goal line. Demolition 21. Kraken's 18. Flags flew. Unnecessary roughness on Yala the biter to be assessed on the kickoff. The Kraken's offense ran off the field to the boos of the demolition faithful. Yala's bite had torn open the skin on the back of Quentin's left hand, a bloody gash running from the knuckle on his index finger to the middle of his forearm. Blood poured from the wound, leaving an intermittent trail on the white playing field. Pine met him halfway, his cane doing a double time that barely kept up the pace. Quentin, you dumb shit, why didn't you audible out of that? I can see from here that Yala knew the play, and I know you saw it. I run the plays that are given to me. Quentin ran back to the bench, leaving the crippled pine behind him. Doc! Doc, get over here! Quentin was oblivious to the shoulder pad and helmet slaps as appreciative teammates threw his way. Doc, come here now! The hurrah doctor glided over his tentacles immediately grabbing Quentin's wrist in a surprisingly strong grip. Sit still. This is a deep cut. We've got to get you to the locker room for the healing tank. Fuck that! Quentin yanked his hand away. Blood flew in all directions. Teammates stopped what they were doing and stared at him. But he saw nothing except Doc, who is now no more than another obstacle trying to stop him from winning. You fix this shit up right fucking now! Quentin's face was a mask of challenge and fury. I gotta put another three points on the board. Forget it, we're out of the game. Quentin's eyes widened to giant white balls spotted with flecks of pure black. He suddenly rushed Doc, grabbed his floating body, finding it surprisingly light. He started to shake Doc when Itzhak and Yasu grabbed him, pulling him away. Quentin, stop it! Itzhak stepped between Quentin and Doc. Quentin ignored him. Looking over Itzhak's shoulder and shaking his blood-dripping finger at Doc,
0: If you don't fix up my hand, I'll bounce you off the ground like a fucking toy, you got that? I don't care if you have to cauterize it with a damn branding iron, you stop the bleeding!
1: Doc hung there for a second, then reached into his bag and pulled out the now-familiar blue strip. He wrapped it around Quentin's shredded skin. Itzhak and Yasud let Quentin go, cautiously, as if he might snap again at any second. Quentin hissed as the acid-like sting spread through his hand. Blood pooled up around the edges of the blue strip and dripped to the trampled white plants below. He looked down, seeing that his blood had stained his white jersey with stripes and splotches of bright red. Doc held Quinn's hand tight as he removed the blood-soaked strip, now a deep purple, and applied another. Itzak leaned in to examine the extent of the injury. Hey, won't that put too many nanocytes in his body? That could cause liver damage. Shut up, Quentin growled at Sock. And don't bother getting warmed up. I'm going back in. The second strip also turned purple with blood. Quentin felt as if his hand was being cooked from the inside out. It's just not working. The lacerations are too large. You've got an arterial tan. The nanocytes can't bind it up. We need to put your hand in the healing tank, Quentin. The gel in the tank is programmed to hold your skin together long enough for the nanocytes to do their work. I don't have time for the damn tank! A string of spittle flew from Quentin's mouth to dangle at the bottom bar of his face mask. He looked up at the scoreboard. Three minutes, 12 seconds to play. The demolition with the ball. Second and three on their own 32. As soon as the defense stopped them, the Kraken's offense would have a chance to win the game. He wanted to be on that field, and he wanted... To win, he quickly looked around the sidelines, searching for an answer. Then he saw Massal, the efficient.
0: Massal, get your box and get over here now!
1: The manager turned at the sound of Quentin's bellowing voice, quivering as if a quiff leader had done the yelling. He scrambled to grab his box off the bench, then ran to Quentin. Get that thing you used to fix my jersey. Massal pulled out the gun players. Doc took one look at the device Then looked at the ugly stitch Running up the front of Quentin's jersey Absolutely not We will not use stitches on human flesh Do it, Massal Use that on him and I'll have Greedock fire you I mean it, Massal Massal started to put the gun players away Quentin reached down with his right hand And grabbed the short quith worker by his left petty pelt. You use that thing on this Quentin said Holding up his left bloody hand Or I will fucking kill you Cook you and eat you Massal quivered like a tuning fork. He reached out and gently pinched together the skin on both sides of the cut. Yasud moved in and wrapped his arms around Quentin's left arm, holding it still. Quentin felt key arms snake around his chest, their strength holding him immobile. He looked over his shoulder. Kilioet's black eye stared at him, only inches from his own. Massal looked up, the obvious question burning in his one big eye. Do it! Masal pulled the trigger. Quen's eyes grew wider as still a new level of pain seared through his arm. He tried to pull back, but Yasud and Kilalyoid held him still. Massal slid the gun pliers up the cut in a smooth stroke, and it was over. Quen stared at his arm. The edges of the skin pursed out a quarter inch from his arm, smeared with blood and roughly stitched together with Kevlar thread, just like the seam of his jersey. The echoes of the needle and thread pain ripped through his arm, but through that he still felt the burning of the nanocytes. That burning intensified on the stitch itself. The tiny machines were trying to do their job. That's going to leave a horrible scar, and it's not going to heal the arterial tear. You've got ten minutes tops before you pass out. Quentin heard the boos from the crowd. He looked up at the scoreboard, his heart leaping, when he saw the magic words, fourth down, six to go, ball in the Pioneers' forty-four. The clock counted down. One minute, 12 seconds. One minute, 11 seconds. One minute, 10 seconds. Quentin heard Hokor in his helmet.
0: Barnes, get your lazy ass up here!
1: Quentin ran to his coach and knelt. Hokor stared at him, and Quentin saw his reflection in Hokor's big eye. His jersey torn, stitched up the chest, making the left side of his number 10 slightly higher than the right. The white fabric stained bright red with blood. His arm, a bloody mess with an ugly, black-threaded stitch running from his hand to his elbow. You look horrible. You
0: sure you can make it?
1: Quinn nodded and smiled. Just give me the ball, coach. Pokor's petty palps reached out, each one lightly touching Quinn's shoulder pads. We pulled a
0: lot of new strategies on him this quarter, so they'll be ready for anything. But at the same time, they won't focus on any one area. We're going to spread it out so you'll have more room to move. If you're in doubt, tuck it and run. But no more head-to-head battles. I can't have you getting hurt. When you run, you take a slide before they tackle you. You got
1: it? Quentin nodded quickly. Hocourt called the first play. The demolition punt sailed through the air. Richfield signaled a fair catch at the Kraken's 17-yard line. Quentin looked at the clock, then nodded again to himself this time. He had his work cut out for him. He needed to go 83 yards in 56 seconds. The Kraken's offense ran onto the field. In the huddle, the players seemed different staring at him with near reverence. Quentin noticed that blood streaked all of the key lineman jerseys, red blood, but key blood was black. It took him a second to realize that Kilioad had rubbed blood, Quentin's blood, on each jersey. The pain in his arm faded away as a new dose of adrenaline pumped through his veins. We're gonna get back in the hunt for tier one right now. We got 56 seconds to put these motherless bastards away. A field goal ties it, but I want to win. X set, 21 base. All routes break off at 20 yards. Quentin reached out and grabbed Haywick's face mask. But when he spoke, it was to another receiver. Scarborough, Quentin said, although his eyes were still locked on Haywick. The nickelback will be on you. She can't handle your speed. Scarborough quivered once, then stopped and stood stock still. You sprint your ass downfield on a post, and when I throw the ball, you better damn well catch it. Let's step in their fucking throats right now and put this one away. Ready? Break! The crowd roared as Quentin's team stepped to the line. He moved up with a step left, a half-bounce left, a step right, a half-bounce right. He stood behind Bodeschwek, his hands tapping out a quick left-right-left a bap on the key's carapace. As he suspected, the defense moved to key on Haywick. The ball snapped in his hands, and he dropped back five long steps. He planted, left knee bent deep, slid two yards across the oily white surface before his cleats caught, and he bounced forward a half step. Standing tall at the six-yard line, he locked his eyes on Haywick. She drove downfield and suddenly broke off at the 37, cutting back on a hook route. The motion was enough to freeze the safety only for a moment, but in that moment, Scarborough turned on the afterburners. Wait for it. The pocket started to collapse around him. Scarborough sprinted past the 40, the 50. Wait for it. She sprinted past the 40, the 30. Killio had lost his fit on his defender and fell to the ground. The defender's body gathered for a vicious blow even as he ran forward, multi-jointed limbs reaching out like a hungry, long-armed spider. Quentin reared back and launched the ball just before the defensive lineman extended and smashed into him at full force. Quentin was knocked 10 yards to his right, the wind woofing out of his lungs. He hit and he rolled. The ball was in the air so long he actually stumbled back to his feet before it finished its long parabola. Scarborough leapt into the air, the safety a good three feet behind her. At the 12 yard line, 81 yards from where he'd released it, The ball landed in Scarborough's tentacles. Her feet touched down at the seven-yard line, and she strolled into the end zone, standing up. Krakens 25, demolition 21. Quentin stumbled off the field, his mind still fuzzy from the devastating hit he'd taken just after releasing the ball. Horace Al rahim added the extra point to put the Krakens up by five. The hit had also opened up the cut on the back of his hand. Although the rest of the gas remained sutured shut. From there on, things were a bit of a blur for Quentin. Someone guided him into a med sled and sat him on the back edge. The med sled moved down the sidelines and into the tunnel. The crowd seemed a massive blur of colors and shapes and sounds. The med sled cruised into the visitors' locker room. Quentin had an impression of someone or something helping him off the sled before his legs gave out. And everything went black. You have been listening to The Rookie, book one of the Galactic Football League series. Produced by Arioch Morningstar with post-production by Steve Rickyberg. Written and performed by Scott Sigler. For more information on the author, and more free stories, go to ScottSigler.com. Theme music is the song The Kids Are Coming For You by the band Superweapon. Superweaponband.com. You're